I'm Casey James, and this is the story of the Bridge House. The throbbing of that inhuman heart. It was far too large to be human, though it didn't look to me like an ox heart either. Followed me as I retreated. Past the living room with its hungry silence and that sentinel piano. Into what had to be a music room. I should have left the house entirely then, but it was dark out and pouring with rain besides, so I stayed. Not in the living room, though. The longer I spent in there, the more that wet, swollen silence disturbed me. The thick red carpet, like blood-soaked leaves, and the piano, squatting against the wall like, well, I'm sure that was my imagination getting the better of me. Anyway. I moved cautiously further into the house. Past the living room was a large open room which seemed to be set up as a music room. A full-size harp stood in one corner, and a set of panpipes hung on the wall opposite. Below the pipes, a trio of armchairs huddled against the wall, upholstered with golden sunflowers. There was a large bay window looking out on the stormy night, and opposite that there was a door out to the veranda. A glass-fronted cabinet beside the bay window held a flute, what looked like a metal clarinet of some sort, and a stone statue of a fawn, which someone had defaced, chiselling the eyes out. Eyes or not, I felt like it was watching me, staring out of that gouged and horrible human face, goat horns rising up above its temples, waiting for something. Nothing could have induced me to open the cabinet door if it hadn't already been open. It was. The door hung unmoving on gleaming brass hinges, the right-hand side open, while the door on the left was still latched. Something drew me towards it, step by slow, reluctant step. There was a smell coming from inside the cabinet, something bitter and piercing like tea steeped far too long, with a hint of bitter almond on top. I stopped myself, finally, as I stood in front of the open cabinet, my hand on the open right-hand side door. The seeking gaze of that eyeless statue ran across me again, like fingers running across my skin in a loathsome caress, and then released me. A vision Perhaps mere imagination came over me, of that self-same fawn standing in the room, preopic and powerful, while around him men and women contorted themselves into the shapes of instruments and furniture. The harp in the corner was replaced by an oriental woman, delicately built and golden-skinned, who bent her arms and legs to mimic the shape of the golden instrument. Where the armchairs should be, three men crouched on the floor, hiding their faces behind spread fingers, and upon their backs sat three women, also with their hands covering their faces, their nipples peaked and taut in the chill, like sunflowers. A lamp I had barely noticed 
was replaced by an unnaturally slender, androgynous woman holding a candle between her palms. All of these people, in my imagining, were naked. Then that awful creature, goat-legged and horned like a statue of Pan himself, moved forward. He ran his hands over the harp woman, and she made a soft sound, a sigh almost, and closed her eyes. Again, he drew those broad, dark hands over her strings, her skin and hair and limbs, and she sang. The wordless melody caught me, breathless, for just a moment, heart pounding. It was as simple as a lullaby, familiar as the ocean, or the sound of traffic outside my parents' house, but I couldn't recall ever having heard it before. I watched, frozen in voyeuristic shock, as the fawn touched her, reverent and gentle. I could almost feel those fingers drawn along my skin in time with hers, pulling musical hums and moans from my lips as well. I don't know how long I stood there, lost in a vision which was at least half imagining. I hope it was imagining. The thought of that dreadful creature turning his eyeless face towards me fills me still with horror. He didn't turn, only ran his hands over the people, instruments, in the room one after the other, drawing musical sighs and sounds of pleasure from each and every one. The patterns he drew on their skin with his knife-sharp fingernails, or with coloured wax and strange scented inks. They moved like a time-lapse, there and not there, settling always into the same positions and postures, willing and eager captives of the fawn of the bridge-house. Their faces were distorted with pleasure every time he touched them, their eyes lowered in submission, becoming nothing but his will. When the creature finally lifted his hands from these human objects, I shook myself out of the vision, trembling and still silent. I wanted to stumble back and flee the room, flee the house entirely, but I did not. There was something here for me, something I needed or would need, it called to me, a whisper of something that wasn't quite sound, like starlight or sorrow or hope. I reached into the cabinet, behind the metal clarinet, which I knew, now, to be gilded and tarnished bone. Don't ask how I knew. That vision of the soft, strange sounds made in the music room, of the rituals, repeated over and over again to transform people into something other than themselves. Of the touch of the fawn. It lasted a long time. Longer than the few minutes I must have stood there, silent and still. Years, perhaps. Months at the very least. I held my breath, as quiet as I could be, hoping that whatever malignant echo or remnant remained here of those rituals, of the fawn himself, would pass me by without notice. Somewhere, a clock chimed as I felt around the back of the cabinet and touched a small bamboo flute. It was hidden from view by the other instruments, but when my fingertips touched it, I knew. 
This was mine, meant for me, and it had never been anything but what it was. It was, in some strange way, one of the things I had seen in my dreams. I pulled it out of the cabinet and took several quick steps back before looking down. In my hand was a rustic, simple flute made of bone-pale bamboo. Darker markings, like wings, trailed along the sides of the instrument, and at one end a copper mouthpiece had been fitted. Into the bamboo was burned the crossed staff and flail of Osiris, and a stylized ostrich feather. I tucked the flute into my shoulder bag, and backed slowly and carefully out of the room, and further into the bridge house. On the other side of the music room was an open and expansive kitchen and an interconnected dining room. Twisting rows of glyphs and symbols were carved into the walls, spiralling into patterns that made my eyes hurt to look at them. A grandfather clock dominated the dining room, stopped and motionless. Its back rested against the glass of a wide bay window that looked out onto the veranda and across the grounds of the bridge house. Thorny rose vines crawled and tangled around the posts outside, bare of leaves and flowers, illuminated by the light spreading out through the window from the kitchen and by the occasional flash of lightning in the sky outside. The light switch beside the doorway had turned the lights on in the kitchen, but not the dining room so shadows still hung over the long wooden table that stood in front of the window, and that clock, looking out over the rain and wind lashing the weedy and overgrown grounds. It reminded me of things I'd rather have left buried, but we all have a few skeletons in our closet. I checked the cupboards on a whim more than anything else, and found a full set of plates and dishes, plain white china, with a pattern in black around the edges, and a set of old-fashioned cut crystal water glasses. I poured myself a glass of water. The taps work just fine, and the water coming out is no different to anywhere else. I had some half-thought expectation of seeing it stained, red or brown like tea or blood, but it wasn't. The kitchen seemed entirely normal, other than the glyphs on the walls and a pantry that looked like it was stocked by someone preparing for doomsday, a bunch of tinned goods, peaches and beans and beetroot, so at least I won't starve if I'm stuck here for a while, assuming there's a can opener somewhere. I sat down at the breakfast bar, suddenly exhausted as my situation sank in. I was stuck here, at least until the storm blew over probably overnight, given my car likely wouldn't start any better now than it would when I abandoned it to walk the last mile and a half of the road. I wasn't sure any more if it was luck that it died just when the bridge house came into view on the hill. The only silver lining I could see was that Kezia's journal and the newspaper clippings indicated that there was a town somewhere nearby, where I could probably find a mechanic or a tow truck. If I was smart... I'd find a guest bedroom for tonight, or some blankets and a couch somewhere that I could sleep. Ideally, somewhere less creepy than the living room I'd seen already, 
and definitely less creepy than the music room or that study. It was a shame there wasn't a couch in the kitchen, really. This was the least threatening space I had seen so far in the house. I leaned forward and rested my head on my arms on the breakfast bar with a sigh. <sighs> if I was really smart, I wouldn't sleep here at all, but I didn't relish the idea of walking a mile and a half back to my car in the pouring rain and the dark. At some point, I shut my eyes. I don't remember doing it, but I must have. I woke up, or thought I did, to the sound of the wind outside. It howled and whistled like a wild thing, but under it was another sound, low and rhythmic, like voices heard from a distance. As I listened, unable for some reason to raise my head or open my eyes, the voices became clearer. I was unable to judge how many voices there were, but they were speaking, chanting rather, in perfect synchrony, strange words and names. Again and again that same phrase was repeated and some sort of wild, eerie music played. It seemed to circle around me, the voices coming now from one direction and now from another. Drums beat, and under the chanting, the wind rattled and scratched at the windows. A crash of thunder startled me, so loud that it drowned out all other sound for a moment. chanting had ceased when the thunder faded, falling into an echoing silence, and I finally felt myself able to sit up and look around. The lights were off, which didn't strike me as odd at the time, and the rain had stopped at some point, replaced by a heavy fog outside. Bright moonlight fell between the banked clouds leaving the kitchen and dining room in a silvery half-light, moonlight reflected off the fog outside. I stared out the window at it, where it seethed and flowed like some alien ocean, bright silver-white in the dark, pressing against the windows. Around the window frames, smoky tendrils of fog crept in, like a slow leak in a submarine, and gathered on the floor of the kitchen and dining room. As I watched, the fog swirled into a sort of pillar beside me, dust motes lighting up like glitter in the reflected moonlight, and took the shape of a man, tall and thin with glowing red eyes like flames. I was terrified. More than that, I couldn't move, 
not even to speak or make a sound. All I could do was watch as that ghostly and demonic figure stretched out his hand to touch me, his fingers cold and yet burning hot against my face, against my lips where he trailed those burning fingers. He smiled and spoke in a low voice, but the words were lost. All I could hear was the ticking of the grandfather clock behind him, stopped in place and yet ticking like a heartbeat. Then he leaned down and laid a kiss on my lips, like a brand, a weight of frozen stone and tar on my soul. His mouth tasted of wine and licorice, with a dark, metallic edge like blood, and his lips held that same burning cold as his fingers. I felt my heart beating, trapped and panicked as that moment in a dream when you know you shouldn't look back and you find yourself doing so anyway. Desperately, I fought for control over my own limbs, fought to move, to twitch, or make the slightest sound. All the time, the pale man kissed my unmoving lips with unreturned passion, his tongue sliding against mine, his breath mingling with my own. His hands slid through my hair, tilting my head like a doll. He drew back, just when I thought I was going to pass out from fright, and whispered to me, Wake up now. I shut my eyes. When I opened them, he was gone. The light was on, and there was no fog rolling and swirling across the kitchen floor. Outside the rain had begun again, and a cloud moved across the sky and hid the moon. Against the window, the clock stood like a silent sentinel, the pendulum unmoving, the hands unmoved. The temptation was there to wind it, to start it up again, but I resisted. The entire house felt like an avalanche, trembling on the brink of beginning, like there was some awful truth to be seen here that, once known, could not be forgotten or unlearned. <laughs>